This is your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Glad to have you guys back for another day. Lots to get to on today's show. Kent Youngblood covers the links for the Star Tribune. will join me here in just a little bit to put a bow on that season. Disappointing for the Lynx. Didn't make the playoffs for the first time since 2010. And the end of the Sylvia Fowles era. Some good stories from Kent about just what her impact was and what a good person she was, as everybody who has been around her will attest to. So that will be coming up here in just a little bit. Got some big picture Minnesota sports thoughts, including some ideas, some some notions about the Wolves and the Wild. I know those seasons are still a little ways off, but just got to thinking about kind of where we stand on the sports landscape. So I wanted to get into that a little bit. And it sounds like Aaron Rodgers might be a little bit frustrated with his young wide receivers. Stop me if you have heard that one before, but uh, that uh, we'll get to that here in a little bit as well. But first, what did I miss? You know, we for, for whatever reason, and it's probably owing to the nature of sports, owing to the nature of how this season has gone for the Twins with a lot of frustrating losses. But I feel like at a lot of points this season with the Twins, we have focused on what has gone wrong as opposed to what is going right. And so I thought maybe today, coming off a 9 nothing win over the Royals, we might take just a minute to look at some of the things that have gone quite right for the Twins this season. And a lot of them were actually on display in that game um, Tuesday night, which, by the way, got the Twins within a game of Cleveland. Cleveland losing 4-3 to Detroit. So Twins now just a game back. Chicago also beat Houston for the second straight night. No help from the very good Astros. Chicago now just a game out of first place as well. So this... This AL Central race uh, will be tight and will keep being tight for the foreseeable future. Twins, by the way, just 47 games now left in their regular season. Some opportunities the rest of this weekend down the stretch to uh, to, to gain some ground and to uh, solidify their, their position in the AL Central. But the guys who are helping them get there, um, there's a lot of them. And I want to start with one that's maybe flown underneath the radar for a while, Caleb Thielbar. Just because he he got up to such a bad start this season, and when you're a relief pitcher, a couple of bad outings early can just doom your ERA. And it's the third and the fourth outings of the year for Caleb Thielbar, um, one against the Dodgers gave up three runs in. He didn't get an out. He gave up three runs, didn't get an out, and then the next outing at Boston pitched only a third of an inning, gave up four runs. So after four outings this year. His ERA is sitting at 23.63. Hard to come back from that. Had another rough outing later that month where he gave up two runs to Detroit. Uh, But pretty much since then, aside from one other outing in the middle of June, Caleb Thielbar has been excellent. He's got an ERA under three since those two really bad outings at the start of the year. He's got an ERA under one. Uh, since the middle of June, uh, spanning about 20 outings, 20 innings. Now, you know, left-handed specialist gets uh, you know gets a lot of strikeouts. So he's got 56 strikeouts in just 42 and a third innings. 
and you know really been quite good only given up those two earned runs since um you know since the start of july actually since the middle of june uh that he's given up those two earned runs and he was a good again against the royals uh both on monday and tuesday pitched a scoreless inning the other night back when the game was a little bit closer you know twins final score is nine nothing but when Thielbar came into the game it was three nothing and needed an important you know, important situation to get out of the seventh inning with with nothing, with nothing, uh, you know, nothing harmed, nothing damaged, and he got he got his 14th hold of the year. So Caleb Thielbar, uh, lefty, Randolph, Minnesota native. You know, interesting career, kind of two different stints with the Twins, um, two different stints in Major League, you know, Major League Baseball in general. Uh, he's been quite good, especially he's been quite good for the last few years, and we should recognize that. Other one. Another one I get it, want to get to, Sonny Gray. Um, big offseason acquisition by the Twins. He was hurt a couple times earlier in this season, but when he's been out there and he's been more durable lately, he's been quite good. 7-3 and three now with a 3.11 ERA, 89 innings pitched in 18 starts. So, you know, he can he can get you know, once he gets once he gets cranked up, he can he can get going a little bit. He he gave them gave him some good innings last night and you know he's he's fulfilled. I think fulfilled his role as a top of the rotation pitcher. He's he's not like that bona fide ace like you might find with some other teams, but he is definitely a top of the rotation pitcher. Definitely a guy who wants the ball in those big situations and showed it again on uh, on Tuesday night. So lowering his ERA all the way down to three, pop all the way down. I'm sorry to uh, to to three point one one. So awfully good for Sonny Gray this season. A couple guys on offense. Luis Arias. Uh, did a poll on Twitter the other day asking you who you thought the Twins' most valuable player, aside from Buck, Byron Buxton, was, at least on the uh, on the hitting side. Luis Arias was a runaway winner, but he goes and has three more hits in this game. 336 average for the year, 401 on base percentage. Um, he's just a he's just a hitting machine. He's doing it again uh, with with the you know positional versatility, all that. He's been quite good. For the Twins this season, it's hard to imagine where they would be without Luis Arias. Um, so those are just a few guys I wanted to highlight. You know, it's it, it again. It, it's easy to get negative. It's easy to you know talk about all the blown losses. Talk about Emilio Pagan. Um, talk about you know the starting pitching not holding up. Talking about the durability of, of these guys. Talking about you know all the things all the things that are going wrong. Um, but you know. This is a team still in, right in the midst of this race, and a lot of the a lot of the moves they've made, a lot of the buttons they've pushed, have actually gone right this year to keep them in that spot. And sometimes it's just good to remember that, especially coming off of a nine to nothing win. MGM Wine and Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, premixed cocktails, wines, and of course, ice cold beers and hard seltzers. With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there's an MGM near you. Head to MGMWineAndSpirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine and Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. I am happy to be joined on Daily Delivery today by Kent Youngblood. Does a great job covering... The Minnesota Lynx and Kent, normally this time of year, you would be gearing up to cover the WNBA playoffs. I believe the WNBA, WNBA playoffs start on Wednesday. Lynx not participating in the playoffs for the first time since 2010, if I'm not mistaken. They've made it 11 years in a row from 
2011 through 2021, but that streak coming to an end had a chance this year, rallied from that three and 13 start, put themselves in position, but two losses to Seattle and Connecticut in the last two games of the year, finish them off 14 and 22. So you see that the, you see the improvement from start of the year to the end of the year, but at the same time, seems like a pretty dissatisfying year, especially when you listen to head coach and general manager, Cheryl Reeve talk about it on Monday when they kind of had their season ender. Um, maybe we can start there, Kent, from, from your perspective, and maybe it's not a surprise since you talked to her throughout the year, but she seemed pretty disappointed by just the kind of the way this, this year went and how she wasn't able to get out of this roster, what she wanted to get out of this roster. Yeah, I mean, she she ended up, she said basically that she tried everything. She tried yelling, she tried cajoling, she tried kind of leave, leaving them to themselves, but she never, ever got, she felt that the entire team to a point where it was willing to work hard enough to be anything other than a mediocre team. Um, <clears throat> they were able to turn it around to a certain extent after that 3-13 and 13 start, in, in large part because the coaches have kind of accepted that they were what they were and tried to work within that paradigm. But the one thing the coach said yesterday, she's never going to have a team like this again, where you have to coach effort. She's going to have a team and the wins and losses, you know, not thinking about just that. She's going to have a team that plays hard and plays for each other. This team was too hard. This team was too easy to break. I mean, you had, you had two games against good teams, but one of them was at home knowing that probably you only had to win one and they were outscored. 58 to 24 in the first quarter of those two games. Yeah. So that's, that's amazing. And I, I, I'm sure she's, you know, she's not calling anybody out individually, I would imagine, but there's, I'm sure she's upset with some individuals. I mean, as you think about, well, we'll get into Sylvia Fowles in, in a minute here, because obviously her retirement after this season was the big end of year story and is a big piece of kind of how they're going to look going forward. But you know, as you kind of think about this roster going forward, I mean, do you did you see you know cracks along the way? Did you see you know areas where you feel like they're going to need to change, whether it's performance, attitude, whatever? Well, I think um, <clears throat> she said that this team did not have bad people on it, but they had, but they had, it was a team that was just always seemed disjointed. It just didn't seem to click or mesh especially the first unit on both really both ends of the floor. <clears throat> and I think that, uh, I think going forward, I think we've learned that probably McBride and Powers probably can't play with each other very well. Their games just kind of don't mesh very well. Um, McBride really needs uh, a, like, oh, like a Clarendon type or, or a Mariah Jefferson type at her best that penetrates, kicks out to the open three. Uh, I think McBride, especially with Collier out, was asked to do some things that, Maybe she wasn't prepared to do. She was tired from two years of playing year round and it just never worked. Um, they're going to, they're going to look very hard at the chemistry of the players that they're assembling going forward. Okay. Well, that's interesting. And then, you know, and I mean, Reeve is the one that makes these roster decisions is you get the feeling that she's, you know, when she supplies herself the, these own her own, you know, she's, she's the one that brings in the players for her to coach. 
which one yeah. of which part of her job do you think she she needs to do better uh, that you know as kind of going forward to to you know to get them out of this spot where they were 14 and 22 this year well she has on more than one occasion this year taken shots at the general manager okay with her tongue-in-cheek um i think that if, if you look at the decisions that they made heading into this year it was pretty clear that she was trying to find a group of veterans that might have had something left that could surround fouls and do something in one final season uh as training camp went on, it became pretty apparent that neither Clarendon nor Angel McCautry were going to be physically able to do the job. And so they cut them both right before the season started. And that kind of set the tone for a 3-13 start. Um, there's going to be a far different approach to assembling the team going forward. They're going to look at they're going to have two first-round draft picks. Uh, they're going to have some money in free agency. I think they're going to look at some young players with talent they can develop. I, I don't think it's going to be a kind of try to put a bandaid on this and help sail through a final year. I think it's going to be how do we assemble a team that we can grow into a very good team. So that sounds to me, it doesn't sound like a full-on rebuild, especially when you have Nafisa Collier, presumably for a full season next year. And that's, you know, that's the, that's the biggest piece you're building around. But as you kind of think about, the other pieces you have to build around and, and whether, you know, how much of a, a rebuild this is, what, what do you, how do you, how do you assess what they have right now? And, and who is, who might be considered a core piece outside of Collier? Well, this is just, this is just me talking. Um, I think uh, McBride was pretty interesting yesterday. She said that she's done sacrificing Link's time for international time. I think she hinted that she's not going to probably play a full season overseas, maybe a half season. She's not going to miss training camp, which she's, she's never been in a Lynx training camp. since she's okay. signed. Um, I think in the right grouping, she can be a very effective player. If she's not asked to do things, she's not, that's outside of her comfort zone. So I think that she's a big part of that. This is just me talking, but I, I just don't see how powers fits into that mix, but I'm not so sure how many options they have in that regard because she is signed and anybody who would say trade for her would have to accept a pretty close to maximum contract deal to do it. Okay. Um, Shepard just signed an extension. I think they like her potential. I think they, I think that it showed how much more work she has to do when she was put in a starting lineup. And that's a, that's a position, the four position in the WNBA might be the best position in the league. And she struggled, you know, she was in her, she was in her wheelhouse when she came off the bench against second teamers, but she struggled. And so she'll have to improve her. I think she's part of the plan. Um, I think they're hoping they win. I, I think they're hoping they win the 10% and win the lottery and maybe get a, a top pick and get somebody like, uh, like that South Carolina center in here, but they're going to have a top four pick. They'll have another pick on the first round. Uh, I think there's going to be some young faces in, in camp next year. Interesting. You know, and a lot of this, like you said, was, you know, predicated on trying to build another winning season around Sylvia Fowles. And she had a good year. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't on sale. It seemed like she could still certainly play, you know, she battled a little bit of injury along the way, but, you know, as we think about her entire career, her entire body of, of work, um, it, it, it felt like the narrative in a lot of steps this season, and particularly, you know, what, what Cheryl Reeves said in recent years is that, is that 
Fowles is underappreciated that, 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 that she never quite got her superstardom due in this league. How, how do you, maybe you can start there. How do you, how do you feel that storyline holds up? Well, I think that, uh, she kind of said that in comparison to Sue Bird. Okay. Who she felt was getting feated um, at a higher level. I think you'll remember at the All-Star game when they took the ball out of play, they gave it to Sue, not to Sill. Okay. Um, as a memento. So, <clears throat> but I will say that throughout their careers, they approached I guess, publicity in far different ways. Sue Bird has always embraced that sort of thing. You know, she went on and did that thing with Tarasi at the NCAA tournament. She's, she's out there and still has always been a more private person who was uncomfortable talking about herself. And I think that probably played into that a little bit. But anybody who played in the league and played against her will tell you how great she was. I mean, she was the greatest back to the back, back to the basket center the league's ever seen. When she had... Uh, point guard who could get her the ball at the right spot. She was unstoppable. I think you saw just how valuable quality inlet passing is over the last two years with how hard it was for her to score when she wasn't getting the ball in the right spot. But when she was playing with people who knew how to do that, particularly Whalen and Simone Augustus was great at it. I mean, she was an MVP. Um, I mean, what didn't she do? I mean, she did everything. She won titles, she won MVPs, she won playoff MVPs. She won gold medals. I mean, she there was nothing she didn't do. In your dealings with her, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they were all good. Do you have any stories or any anecdotes that that stand out in you know covering her over the years? Well, um, you know, everybody talks about how nice a person she is. It's been talked about so much in the last you know month that it's almost like you're tired of hearing it. You know. But sure. I want to tell you that she's one of the nicest people I ever covered. And uh, I'll give you a personal anecdote. Um, it's, I covered the team. I covered her for you know, her, her entire time in Minneapolis. And uh, two years ago, I had a surgery, and I was away from the team for about a month. And the first day that I returned to practice, she came up and gave me a hug and asked me how I was doing. Wow. I mean, players, players just don't do that sort of thing. Sure. You know, most, most people you cover don't even know what your name is. Um, Wouldn't have known you were gone. Of, yeah. Exactly. Would not have known I was gone. So everything you heard about her as far as being a, per, a great person is absolutely on, on target. She's one of the nicest people ever. And tough, too. You, she played through so much pain this year. Uh, that knee was was killing her. She had plantar fasciitis. She played through it all. I think she missed three games, which came after injections for her knee, and she had to sit for like four days. That She put up with a lot of pain to finish this year, and she was still playing at a high level when it was over. I mean, she finished her career with a double-double, or 101st in the Minnesota uniform. And she was here. She got here in 2015. Is that right? She So she was here for mid-season. She held, she held out. Right. To force a trade here. So she was yeah. here for the last two of the four championships and, you know, obviously instrumental yes. in those seasons. I mean, uh, I mean, on the court, how do you, how do you replace what, what she did? Or do you, I mean, it kind of felt like they've had to figure this out when they've been missing her in stretches in, in recent years because of injury, but they're obviously 
style-wise a dramatically different team when she's on the court versus off the court? Does this hasten the transition into a certain kind of style or a different kind of style? It played the entire bubble season without her base. Yeah. Yeah. We're one of the most efficient offensive teams in the league. It'll be different uh, when you're not beholden. You're going to have to have a lot more movement without the ball. I think the offense will look a lot like it did before she got here with a center more on the high post hitting, cutting players. Um, Maybe, maybe if you get the right combination of people, I mean, they used to post up their guards all the time. Uh, Simone used to post up all the time. Um, It'll look different, but I think they've proven that they can score the ball without her. I think they're going to miss her most on the defensive end and in rebounding. Yeah. Final thought for you. I don't know. I don't know who's going to rebound the ball. Yeah. No, it's it's a good point. I mean, Collier certainly has some acumen there, but it'll be a committee approach for sure. Uh, Kent, final thought for you, enjoying this conversation with Kent Youngblood. It's kind of the whole swirl of all this makes me wonder if they have to take another step back before they take another step forward, but I don't think they would ever want to concede that for 2023. I mean, as you think about, you know, the outlook and, you know, missing the playoffs once after going 11 times in a row, I mean, is that, is that a likely outcome again in 2023? Or do you, you see there's certain levers they could pull where they could, you know, kind of be right back in that top eight mix? I think, um, I think that if we were having this conversation before the last collective bargaining agreement was signed, I would have told you it's going to be really, really hard to turn this thing around quickly because, you know, back then you could core your best players. The best players never really saw free agency because there were ways in place to have for teams to keep their best players. Free agency is a much different ball game now than it was five years ago. Um, there will be quality free agents out there. Uh, I think you can build fairly quickly that way if you make the right decisions. Um, but I think it all comes down to whether or not we can find a consistent, maybe not great, but a consistent steady point guard. Um, if you look this year, every time Mariah Jefferson played well, they won. Yeah. And pretty much every time she didn't play well, they lost. Um, the year before Clarendon was never, you know, open your mouth. Awesome. Like she was never, but she was steady. She knew what to do. She played defense and they won. She talked yesterday about how difficult it is to find that in this league. Just, just like quarterbacks in the NFL, there just aren't that many really good point cards. So I don't know what she's going to do there, but if they can they can make a good draft pick, you know, if they can sign a free agent or two, maybe trade, use a trade, maybe package a first-round draft pick in a, in a player and get a point guard who is steady, I think that they're a playoff team next year. I'm not saying that they're a Legitimate title contender, but they will be back in the mix. Good stuff, Kent. Great uh, great coverage all year. A lot of ups and downs for this team. An interesting season, even at 14 and 22. And we'll look forward to more of that again next year. Take care, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Good stuff from Kent Youngblood. As always, really enjoyed that conversation. Good insights into the links. And, you know, got me thinking a little bit. I've done, you know, these kind of projections, standings over the years of who I think is the team in Minnesota that's most likely to win a championship next. And really, 
for a long time. The Lynx have been the default and earned number one team on that list. I mean, when they were winning four championships in a seven-season span in uh, you know last decade, that was you know obviously they were the the, the favorites to, to to win it to win a championship, and especially when some of the other teams in this market were not having as much success. Lynx no longer, I don't think, have that have that spot right now. They're they're kind of entering. I think can't stop short of saying it was a rebuild, but kind of entering this retooling phase of of their of their evolution of their ecology, where you know where they really haven't been for a while, and you thought maybe they're going to have to do that after the 2018 season when you know the, the departures of Maya Moore and Lindsey Whalen, and you kind of starting to see okay, this is starting to break up, and then they they kind of retooled on the fly. Kept making the playoffs a couple years in a row. Um, you know, had high seeds in the playoffs. Had a chance to, you know, had a chance to make some noise in the playoffs. Maybe weren't the best of the best, but were still legitimate contenders in the WNBA thanks to some good draft picks like Nafisa Collier and some other players stepping forward. But now, now I would say if you survey the whole picture of the Minnesota sports landscape and include all of the six teams that I would say play in the top U.S. leagues here, um, let me say the Lynx, Minnesota United, the Twins, Vikings, Wild, and Timberwolves. I got to say right now that the Wild and the Timberwolves uh, have to be at the top of my championship list. Um, you know, I know the Twins are in, in playoff contention, but you look at the way they're constructed right now until they get a little bit more pitching, until they get a little bit more consistency, until they can beat some of these better teams uh, more consistently. I don't, I, don't, I don't think they're championship caliber right now. They're kind of more middle of the pack, a little bit above. You look at the Vikings, you're probably thinking the same thing, right? Like even if things break right this year, this is probably a 10-win team, maybe an 11-win team, but you still would put the Packers ahead of them in the division. You'd still put several teams ahead of them in the conference and in the league. This is not really a team that looks like it's built to win a championship right now or even necessarily in the foreseeable future. So that it, it's not them at the top of the list. Like I said, Lynx look like they're entering kind of a mini rebuild. We'll see how long mini takes, but it doesn't feel like they are on the cusp of anything great right now. Minnesota United, you know, it's soccer. They, they, they look like they're rounding into form this season. They should be a playoff team again this year like they have been uh, for the past few seasons. But at the same time, doesn't seem like they are of the elite elite either. And even Adrian Heath saying that, last week when I talked to him. So, you know, while the Loons certainly have a chance to get there this year, I don't know if I would put them in that, you know, upper echelon category. Now, the Wild obviously has work to do too, and so do the Wolves, but I think those are the two teams on the most clear upswing trajectory in this market. You know, Wild, especially after resolving the Kirill Kaprizov situation this offseason, you know, coming off of two very good years, trying to take another step forward, win a playoff series, Maybe win two playoff series. Try to be try to be that team that's on the rise and not just stuck in neutral. And they certainly have the parts to do that. And the Wolves, thanks to the Rudy Gobert trade, thanks to last year's you know forty six win season, Carl Anthony Towns here long term. Anthony Edwards continuing to rise. A lot of good supporting cast around them. You know, again, I wouldn't say the Wolves are in a position where you would say this is a team that that could or should win a championship next season, but. This is of of the teams in this market. This feels the, the 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 Wolves and the Wild seem like they're poised and positioned the best 
to win a championship faster than anybody else. It just hasn't been like that for a long time, right? Uh, especially with the Wolves. You couldn't say that with a straight face about them for a long time in the wild. Even when they were good, uh, it seemed like they were more of that middle of the pack, hoping for hoping for something good to happen, but not necessarily counting on it. So interesting dynamic shift in this market. Just thought I would point that out after we were done talking about the Lynx. Let's finish with the cooler. Stop me if you have heard this before, but Aaron Rodgers, a little bit frustrated with his young wide receivers, actually all of his wide receivers, saying the young guys, especially young receivers, we got to be way more consistent. This was Rodgers talking on Tuesday at camp. A lot of drops, a lot of bad route decisions, running the wrong route. We've got to get better in that area. Now, it doesn't sound like he was necessarily pointing that criticism at his uh, at the veterans on the roster like Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, Sammy Watkins, but you know someone like Romeo Dubes, um, someone like that's kind of catching his catching his ire. Um, you know, it's just if you've, if you've listened to if you listen to Rogers talk or watched his body language over the years, he certainly has you know uh, certainly does not spare any words for for his young receivers when they are messing up. He's he's more of a tough. A tough love kind of quarterback, and sometimes that works, and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes he loses guys that way. So I'll be interested to see how that plays out over the course of the early part of this season. You know, obviously the Packers without Devontae Adams, it's going to be a big question how they make up for his production, how they make up for everything that he gave Rodgers in terms of being a security blanket. Um, A lot of young guys on this roster, a lot of opportunities, but at the same time, doesn't sound like things are going all that smoothly right now, and that bears watching in the NFC North. That'll do it for today. Hope you enjoyed everything on Daily Delivery. Randy Johnson covers Gopher Football, should be with me on Thursday show to talk about that team, which is you know, only a couple weeks away from making their season debut and is uh, is plugging away at camp as well. I want to get Randy's thoughts on some of the you know, some of the big players so far in camp and some of the key storylines. So listen for that on Thursday. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Be back at it again tomorrow.